Welcome to the Spindrift Podcast, where we delve into the spirit of cycling, hearing personal stories and experiences, discussing important issues and discovering adventure and inspiration. This episode, I'm joined by Cassandra Spring, Global Marketing Manager for Live Cycling, one of the biggest bike brands in the world. We talk about where her passion for bikes comes from, what a global marketing manager actually does, and the importance of representation, inclusion, and diversity in cycling. And on the eve of the Tour de France Femme, we talk about the current state of play in women's cycling and her vision for the future. If you enjoy this episode, please don't forget to leave a little comment or ranking as it really helps people discover the podcast. And in the meantime, enjoy. Joining me now uh, from live from the US is Cassandra Spring, Global Brand Manager for Live Cycling. Uh, Cassandra, thank you so much for joining me for a chat today. Oh, thank you, Aoife. I'm really excited to be with you. I hope it's not it's not too early in the morning for you over there at the moment, is it? <laughs> it's perfectly reasonable on a Saturday. <laughs> it's nearly 8 a.m. Oh, that's dedication. I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time to on your Saturday morning to talk to me on Spindrift today. And um, so congratulations are in order because we've just said you're global brand manager at Live Cycling. And that's a that's a, a new role. You've been working for Live for for a long while now. But can you tell us, like, what? Uh, well, first of all, congratulations, and, and secondly, what what does a global brand manager do? <laughs> what, what does that mean? Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, well, generally leading and managing global brand initiatives, and um, you know, uh, Live's business building capacity. Um, I, of course, work with a team of dynamic leaders. Mm-hmm. We're focused on sports marketing, product and gear marketing, as well as content and influencer marketing. Uh-huh. And, um, especially right now within live, um, really looking at supporting digital transformation initiatives, mm-hmm. um, big things are, are afoot in terms of how, um, that infrastructure is. And then, Beyond that, I mean, we're kind of in collaboration, but, you know, my role is to really lead, manage and execute creative campaigns. Mm -hmm. And um, with the idea of optimizing for their um, localization, because we do have sales companies around the world. And so that's a really key thing. It's it's participating in, you know, regional business focused meetings and with those marketing teams and, you know, live brand focused teams to... Uh, kind of, you know, be successful and be strategically smart and um, evolve our tactics in a, in a dynamic um, <laughs> landscape. You know, the, I think the world is changing yeah. and so in flux. And so it's really kind of operating um, in a smart way to kind of meet the moments. So there's never a dull moment, speaking of moments, <laughs> in this role. Um, but, you know, truly it's um, year round is there's always something, um, always many things that yeah. are happening. And um, the greatest thing is that I got I get to kind of have exposure to a lot and I get to be a listener and yeah. a learner every day, which I love. <laughs> I mean, as you said, it's a hugely varied role. So Live Cycling is, you know, a huge global brand known for producing um, women's 
specific bikes and gear, um, but goes much beyond that. And your role encompasses all of that. So like, you know, I guess our paths would have crossed because in my work as a bike journalist, I'd have been invited to press camps or receive marketing material when there's a new bike coming out. And so that's kind of produced globally, but like, you know, so maybe tweaks or for, for local, you know, sort of the UK market, for example. But then, as you mm-hmm. said, like you do sports marketing, um, which if I understand correctly, that's sort of like working with athletes. So you've got athletes racing in, you know, discipline, all sorts of disciplines like triathlon, road cycling, mountain biking, enduro, cross country and and sort of ambassadors around the world, influencers around the world. I mean, that that's that's, that's a big role. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, would you say it's kind of like how you're sort of informing yeah how how live is seen and perceived and shares what it does yeah i think that's a yeah that's a generally i am you know a a brand steward and really responsible for yeah. how it is showing up in the world yeah and of course you know i i always want to give a lot of um, credit and attention to the women that I work with, especially mm-hmm. because, you know, it's through their leadership that we accomplish a lot. But at the end of the day, I am um, accountable. It does. It's exciting and big. And I'm, oh, I'm really true. We am amazed. I mean, we are a a team that always aims to play big, but we are smaller than you would imagine. Right. Because, you know, when you think of like Live Cycling, you're like, oh, it's a huge brand. There's bikes around the place. There must be like thousands and thousands of people working on Live. Is that right? <laughs> no. <laughs> like dozens and dozens. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's the amazing thing, you know, and you referenced the fact that we do have two women's world tour teams. Yep. Um, we have a factory racing, you know, UCI world cup cross country mountain bike team. We have a racing collective, which is our syndicate of privateer professional athletes, um, who are competing across multiple disciplines. And that's, those are our teams. And we have amazing partnerships with, um, the black foxes. And also they're mm-hmm. doing an amazing thing with the abundance project. And then we're also longtime partners with ladies all ride. Yes. And, um, and then, you know, so at the global level are these, you know, overarching sports marketing and, um, ambassador programs, but then we work with this strong network of, as you, you know, regionally managed, um, ambassador programs and sports marketing, um, initiatives. So it's great. It's great. It's a lot. Yeah. All the way from like the, the top, the highest level of, of elite professional sport through to the grassroots level where you're, yes. you've kind of got like people making a difference right on the ground with within their communities, one on one or, you know, sort of in smaller groups kind of having that direct input. So the full gamut of cycling. Within one role. I really love it. I love variety. Yeah. And I love, you know, cycling. I mean, truly bikes and bike culture are just like such a passion point for mine. So I, I, yeah, it's dynamic and keeps me on my toes. I also am one of those people that, you know, I have a great interest in stretching and growing all Mm, the time. And so always have opportunity for that as well. Let's take it back. You've mentioned that bikes and bike culture have always been something that you're interested in, right? Right from when you were little, were you into bikes as a kid? Oh yes. From a young (laughs) age, I was riding bikes um, for fun around my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, I mean, I have this kind of two distinct picture images. One was me just kind of 
racing up and down the street with neighborhood kids, you know, like just for funsies. And then um, my dad had this 10 speed and it had at one point I had a much younger um, sibling and there was a baby seat on the back. And, you know, I was babysitting and Mm -hmm. putting my little brother Joshua in the baby seat and trying to ride my dad's 10 speed around (laughs) at approximately age 12. Right. (laughs) And um, yeah, so there were those um, just, you know, the bikes for fun and for play and for pleasure. And then when I went to university, um, in Bellingham, Washington, Mm -hmm. I bought my first mountain bike and I used it primarily as a commuter bike before discovering how much fun the trails uh, (laughs) were and are. And so that was a, a great kind of uh, for me, just like, oh wow, okay, this is another level of fun. Yeah. Um, but then I really fell in love with biking when I discovered a riding community. Right. And yeah, I was living in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, following graduation, and participated in their Town Challenge Mountain Bike Race Series. Mm-hmm. I just fell in love with the camaraderie and the competition. You know, ah. just like that combination was really yeah. fun. And then I lived in Simba only for a short year before moving to Bend, Oregon. And uh, and in Bend, I found more women to ride with, which was huge, Excellent. and yep. eventually more disciplines to try. Um, and so I got in. I, I, I definitely tasted... Um, just kind of road racing and discovered that it was not. (laughs) And, um, and then also cycle cross, which I love to say looks hard, but it's also harder than it looks. Um, (laughs) I mean, it it looks really hard. Um, but my, my relationship to cycling evolved even uh, yet again, yeah. um, when Ben hosted the cyclocross nationals in 2009 and 2010 and inspired by just the fans, the racers, just the culture in general, I shared a vision for a citywide multimedia arts events with, uh, Doug LaPlaca, who was then CEO for Visit Bend, and I found amazing support and partnership with them as a tourism bureau. And through this experience, I really fell in love with, you know, like just those possibilities that happen at the intersection of cycling and culture. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, Ugh, it's just it's good stuff. And then, you know, for me, like what it means is that it's been like this big part of my life, not only because I spend a lot of time working and playing bikes, but just, you know, kind of what they brought me in terms of connecting me with some of the most fascinating people, you included. (laughs) Oh, thanks. But it's true. I mean, like, I think that's one of the things that whenever I speak to anyone who's really into cycling, one of the things that pretty much everyone says is, is the community and the people that you can meet through it. There's this sort of pure passion for what they do and, and a sort of real interest in sharing it as well. Like, you know, it's, it feels a lot like people have discovered something kind of magical and rather than wanting to keep it to themselves, they want as many people as possible to have this experience, to share that joy, that sense of achievement that you can get, the, you know, the sense of freedom you can get from, from cycling. Would you say that that's sort of the main thing that you get from it or, or what is it that about cycling that that makes you made you fall in love with it i i mean i think that yeah there's a generosity of spirit in general and yeah. i love that um if there is something about the community aspect and um celebrating you know just those people that have where I felt like a sense of belonging yeah. and so yeah i mean aside from the the feeling that you get 
when you're riding a bike and especially, you know, outdoors, of course, you know, I'll do the indoor time as well, but when mm-hmm. there's just nothing comparable to me of that, you know, feeling of freedom and, and being able to share that and also kind of see it in others and within yeah. others is, is just like, yeah, it's, it's the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there is this deep gratitude that comes from uh, acknowledging all the different, I mean, this happens everywhere, but the, yeah, the, the people that are like, okay, one small act of like get bringing somebody else out on a ride, yeah. like the difference that can make. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm also in a position where I get to kind of observe that and be a part of it. And that is just, yeah, that kind of just keeps me, I don't know, energized and excited about the future. Tell me a bit more about the festival then, because, you know, I'm, I'm based in the Tweed Valley and we're gearing up for the world championships. And obviously, as well as sort of elite level racing, there's going to be, there's, you know, huge plans afoot for all these peripheral events to to get the whole community involved and engaged. Mm-hmm. And I guess the idea is that like, even if you're not necessarily into like elite racing or you don't know the names of all the athletes, it shouldn't matter because uh, there should be some other way that you can engage and experience and connect with what's going on here. So, how, you know, how did you go about doing that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. How fun. Okay. <laughs> so we, um, so Cross Culture was the event name and in its first year we had um, things, you know, it was like thinking about all ages. So yeah. even for youth like painting cowbells right so then they could go and like yeah and then ring those bells and really have like touch the culture in that way there was spoken word events um that centered on you know bike stories and stories of you know riding life Mm -hmm. and um there was a bike art show where we partnered with retailers and had, you know, bicycle themed art that was um, in all these spaces. So anyone that was visiting town would go into those local businesses, right? And see the art and meet the artist. And that was really uh, impactful for, I mean, just, you could kind of see the um, that connection of, you know, you get into like just the economic impact. So that, that was pretty Mm. powerful. And then we also hosted art crank and, um, have you ever heard, have you been to one of those events? No, I've, Um, I've, I've heard, I've heard about it and I've like sort of followed stories around it, but I've never been. I'd love to. Yeah. So that was really born. Um, Charles Yule is the founder of art crank and he's based in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the U S. Um, but he's, this is a, he had, um, events kind of all over the place and more urban area, you know, like big city, (laughs) um, big cities, but I was such a fan and basically like pursued and it was like, you have to come to Ben recycle cross national. I mean, at the time, Ben's population was probably around 75,000 people. So it's not like a huge base, but we, I think he also believed in, you know, the cyclocross culture and in the kind of creative community that, you know, especially at that time. And so that was another element of it. In its second year, we had more of a themed event because it was timed around the Day of the Dead. Um, So that was also just, yeah, kind of bringing in different community organizations to think about, you know, different intersections. So I, yeah, for me, it was, and it's what you're describing where like there, is there a hook for anybody, no matter their age and interest, 
right? To get them and bring them closer and, and ultimately to, you know, bring them out to watch athletes because it is infectious. You get yeah. out there and you're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, it's just so powerful. How do you then sort of get the next step from like someone who's had that, that initial spark of like, oh, that looks interesting to I'm going to try riding? Because, you know, one of the great things about cycling is it obviously there is elite racing, but it's so many things. It can be so many things. It can be more or less whatever you want it to be. How, right. how do you sort of move it into that phase? You know, I think that, I mean, that happens on a personal level. And I think it's yeah. really interesting how some people take inspiration from, you know, kind of, I mean, if, if we center still on cyclocross, but mm-hmm. obviously this can be across diff- different disciplines, but you get to see people that aren't that different from you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, writing, this is actually why, you know, I think also representation is important. Yeah. Um, so also I think youth, there is something really powerful and about, you know, like how do you just their imagination about, okay, what is, what is biking mm-hmm. and what is cycling and what is getting out on your bikes? And I think if it's funny because in some instances, you know, it's just like, okay, going to a race and then like, we're going to dust off the bikes and go for a ride (laughs) and then riding together. And then, you know, just like, it can, it can just stay with that. And that's perfect and fine and fun. And for some people, there's just something that catches fire. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, I think the other thing that we think about at Live is like, how can there be resources for those that are starting from that, you know, from those early phases of writing and like offer, you know, if you're wanting to learn, here's a, somebody that you or a group that you can learn with and or here's um, some online, you know, resources to read or to watch to learn how learn basic skills or learn the things maybe you don't want to ask. Yeah. Um, so um, but it is I think it's so personal. And I do love um, hearing stories of, you know, what inspired people to get into writing. I think that is always it's 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 fascinating. I think that, you know, there's the, you know, dodge of like you have to see it to be it. Mm-hmm. It holds true. Yeah. Right. Like it really does hold true. And so that is, again, you know, when we think about everything that's uh, coming up in both, a, you know, Tour de France Femme and also at the um, world championships, it's like, I, it, I just think, Oh my gosh, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much potential there because how many people will see something and just feel, you know, take inspiration from it yeah. and, and think I'm going to give that a go. Let's, let's chat a little bit more about some of the high level racing that's coming up because there is some amazing high level racing coming up and sort of lives involvement in that because brands play a huge part in, in ensuring that women's cycling events, women's cycling racing, um, happens and is supported and is given opportunities and coverage. And I mean, the Tour de France Femme is, is got to be one of the biggest success stories in recent time the, you know the fight to bring it back 2022 being it's you know inaugural isn't quite the right word because there was a, a women's tour de france in the past but like it's it's triumphant mm-hmm. return and just how successful that was you were you were there with Liv Liv supported the mm-hmm. first tour de france firm yes Liv what was that like I mean that must have been an incredible experience it was an incredible experience it was also I think I should have known this but <laughs> it was the moving circus <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um and I had we had the honor of um live founder and visionary Bonnie too mm. that was there for the first four stages 
and could participate in the program. But truly, you know, it was an incredible, you know, just felt like incredible success to be there. Um, I had high hopes truly for that event and they were really surpassed. Wow. Um, There, you know, was a strong infrastructure commitment from the ASO. I mean, from the, you know, ground apart um, in Paris to the fan zones with each stage Mm -hmm. and the caravan that precedes each stage. The scale was really impressive, but, you know, all of that was met by fans and really in in tremendous numbers lining the course. Um, And, you know, I think that for me, the one of the impressions that just has remained is like hearing the banging of the barricades at the finish line. And, um, oh my gosh. And even I have a, like, I get goosebumps when I, when I revisit like being on, um, the final stage, stage eight and at the finish. And we know, of course, you know, we on, on Meek, we know she she had, you know, she was well positioned, but you're still, you're looking at the, the jumbotron and we see how far the riders are out. And then you hear the helicopter above and then you hear, you know, just the barricades and people yelling and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is it. Like, and just for those women and the incredible, you know, like every, the efforts, and it was, I guess, you know, just display of athleticism, mm-hmm. all of it. It was just profoundly exciting and wonderful. And, you know, we now know that the broadcast viewership numbers soared throughout the stages. Yeah. And, you know, for us, it really confirmed what we believe that there's a, a global appetite for women's cycling. So I'm, I'm looking at some of the stats that I've got here now that um, Zwift, who are one of the um, yes. sponsors of the event um, have, have released because uh, obviously we've got not long now till the 2023 event um, so they were saying 23.2 million cumulative live audience for the 2022 Tour de France Femme 2.9 million average live audience uh, watchers per stage and then they're saying that sort of like 115 million overall viewers for women's cycling so making it the fourth most followed women's sport in the world which is huge um Absolutely. and that 73% of fans who watched it were interested in participating or racing afterwards compared to sort of 44% of people who who sort of don't watch sports so i mean that means huge audience like and and it's been the case for so long that supporters of women's cycling have said no you know if you if you if you give coverage to it people will watch it they will watch it and now the proof is in the pudding like it was put out there it was broadcast live and and people watched it and people loved it and it inspired people there's no argument anymore for that surely no i know and i love the investment in that women's cycling Mm. report by Zwift and as well as their investment in the Tour de France femme. Um, yeah, there's just, I mean, we, we know, and I, and this, I expect even more participation, you know, along the course and around the world this year. Um, and I'm excited for that. So can you tell us, I mean, so you're, you're going, you're heading over to, to France next week. It's all kicking off the weekend after, if I've got that correct. Obviously, depending on when I release this, it might, it might be happening right now. So listeners bear with me. Um, what, I mean, what, what happens with you in your role at the Tour de France Femme. So, you know, I mean, obviously there's a huge amount of work that's gone in the run up to this. So this is kind of like the rollout. What goes into putting something like that together from the perspective of your role and the brand Live Cycling? Oh my gosh, that's great. <laughs> uh, 
So many things. Um, <laughs> however, you know, this year, um, so there is a really strong brand activation element that's yeah. on the ground, right? Like we want to um, ensure that Live is visible um, as an event um, partner and white jersey sponsor. I mean, clearly we have a stage presentation every day with the white jersey yeah. and um we have, you know, banners and all sorts of, you know, visible um, branding along the course um, and in the cars and in the, you know, moto, all of those things, which is wonderful. We also want to really, you know, energize the fans. And so yeah. we are um, this year, you know, we have a team of French ambassadors um, that are going to be giving out swag. They'll be and the messaging is more femmes on bikes. We have yes, some it. bucket hats and we have flags. And so just, you know, kind of looking to distribute those. Um, we do have, um, a product line, the Blanc collection that's really inspired by the Tour de France femme. And, um, we have a lot of content. Um, we're doing something unique and, um, experimental this year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're working with, um, Katie Burrell. And I don't know if you're familiar. She's a Canadian, uh, comedian essentially who, oh. um, in her, in her start, it was really poking fun at bro culture. Oh. And and um, in the snow sports space, and also we've had the opportunity to work together in the past. And so Katie uh, is coming along, along with her uh, producer, Colleen Gentleman, and yep. she's going to be talking about, you know, why being a fan matters, but with a very comedic approach. Oh, I so, love this already. I will be watching that. It's going to be, <laughs> so cool. it's gonna be so fun. And the intent behind it really is to unlock those North American audiences as well. Ah. I think if you live in Western European countries, you understand the tour and its yeah. heritage and it's just, you know, it's like so visible. And I think in the U.S. we uh, we have like, you know, the, I guess, name recognition of Tour de France femme, but getting mm -hmm. people really like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, like somewhat, you know, demystifying some of the elements of the tour is, is something that we want to do. And so beyond that, kind of back to our efforts with, with all of the content pieces, we yeah. are working, you know, we have two teams. Um, Jaco Alula is one of the teams and we also have Live Racing Tech Bind. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll be uh, working together in various ways to continue to tell stories, gain, uh, gather assets, mm -hmm. etc., and, um, yeah. And anything else that comes up because there's always the unexpected. And so just being ready for that as well. So <sighs> it's a lot <laughs> and it's a really fun, um, that's the intent this year. Yeah. I think last year being of the first year, yeah. I just had, I just remember having like very big eyes the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> like what's coming next. Yeah. <laughs> But that's perfect. So, like, uh, you know how it rolls now. So now you're like, uh huh, yeah. what can we do with it this year? On that, another thing that's really been happening in the buildup, but now, you know, it's kind of moved into the hands of the community into um, retailers is mm -hmm. um, giving, sharing kind of resources and guidelines for hosting watch parties. Oh, yes. And really encouraging that. And I'm so excited because we already have, you know, more than 50 being planned around the world. I know in Japan, they're having a watch party. In Germany, they're oh, happening. Yes. In Canada, in the U.S., the U.S., I think they're upwards of, I mean, they're, I, don't, I don't know, there's more than 30 um, being yeah. planned in the U.S. Yeah. And so, again, that's something where it's like, we understand the importance of, of as Wiff would say, watch the fems, yeah. right? We yeah. understand 
that metric and its importance. And so for us to support that as well and to really kind of, and you know, you've had that experience, I'm sure. Mm. Um, I know I have with world cups with other events too, where you're just gathering together with people and sharing in that experience of watching, whether it's a stage, whether it's a match, it is something that I don't know. It's that collective effervescence that is so joyful for me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, obviously being at an event is great, but not everyone can be an event. But, you know, if it's streamed live, you can all be in a room with other fans and kind of, you know, feed off that energy and and sort of experience it. I love a watch party. And I think the other thing that's really interesting that you're saying as well about demystifying it, because I remember not that long ago, um, one of my housemates when I was... um, in my 20s, which is, let's not say how long ago that was now. Um, but she was really into the Tour de France. And I was like, I, you know, I didn't really get it. I was like, oh, it's just a load of people racing bikes. And it wasn't until later mm-hmm. on, well, and cycling racing generally, when I realised, no, 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 it's not like, you know, all these people individually racing for a win. There's there's a mm-hmm. team and there's strategies and there's stories and there's roles and they're working together. And when you start hearing, and I think this is one of the things that I've always loved about cycling and always been really happy that's happening more is when you know the the people involved like the racers mm-hmm. and their stories and their motivations and their characters and why they're doing it and why they love it oh god then you have that emotional engagement so then when you're watching something like the Tour de France Femme oh god it's just so much more powerful and it I get really emotional I'm not gonna lie I have cried at bike races mm-hmm. for sure yeah same I know it is there's something that is deep um about it and beautiful and yeah yeah same I felt like (laughs) I a lot of content will flow you know even just for me it's like there's a lot of um as you said you know just the women Mm. um that are racing that are so inspiring and from across the teams yeah um and of course I am I'm close with the ones on the live teams and you know as with so much content coming through I'm still like I'll watch things some things over and over because it just like (laughs) gives me that like you know just that feeling (laughs) and yeah there's a lot of investment um just in in their experience and and you know in the the triumphs and um and also the setbacks too I just think there's a lot that we can take from it so with with a brand like live because obviously it's it's more than just obviously selling bikes is the business mm-hmm. but it's more than just selling bikes because if it was just selling bikes you'd just sell bikes there's more to it than that um yeah. which involves sort of investment in not just in athletes but in also sharing athlete stories and, and and getting that across to to people who who might find them interesting and inspirational and as you said providing the additional advice because you know for a lot of people inspiration is one starting point or buying a bike for a utilitarian purpose might be another but then you do with it like how do I look after it who do I ride with where do I ride and where do you even find that information because a lot of women are quite disengaged with a lot of traditional cycling uh, mm-hmm. media outlets because it, they've always been very male dominated and you know there's lots of great guys working there I've worked with many mm-hmm. of them um yeah. but that you know, if, if, if that's not where women are going, then how, how do you ensure that women get that information that will make their, you know, their experience of cycling so much more fun and enjoyable and pleasurable and, and confidence boosting? I mean, is that something that Liv work on as well? Like, and, and why? Wow. Yes. Big question. I mean, sorry. <laughs> the, yeah. The answer is yes. And just to, you know, kind of 
touch back. Lube was founded in 2008 by Bonnie too. Yeah. And she was 57 at the time. Yeah. And she was a giant executive. Um, at the time she was chief financial officer and she couldn't find, you know, the appropriate bike models and equipment that yeah. suited her needs. And so I, I love that, you know, at 57 coming into cycling and having that perspective and really kind of being a convert towards and, you know, being a tireless advocate for inclusivity mm. within the bike industry. Yeah. And, you know, today the brand, the live brand, you know, it continues to evolve and grow and we get to put women first in everything we do. All of our resources are invested in supporting women and creating more opportunities in the sport of cycling. Yeah. And so that is, I don't know. I mean, I think that's really, it's an enviable position to be in, Mm -hmm. um, to be at live as passionate riders, you know, it's like, okay, women are our first thought. Like, (laughs) so, you know, (laughs) and, you know, at the same time, I will say we have, we hear the challenges of industry norms and um, standards, you know, like why, why do we need Mm. this or that? And I honestly, I take a lot of inspiration from Bonnie who was like, why not? Why don't we need, you know, if we've always thought about it from that perspective, why not from this? Yeah. And so, yeah, we are always looking for ways to listen, to amplify, to elevate, celebrate women, you know, throughout their cycling journey. And as writers, it's helpful. We have, um, uh, you know, one of the gals on the global marketing team, she came into cycling during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and she really brings this kind of fresh eyed approach, you know, like she fell in love with gravel riding. And so, you know, I just, it's been really interesting to have somebody that's like, yeah, but why, why does it need to be this way? And even as, you know, I've been a writer for a long time and I'm, I'm very lucky to be surrounded by a lot of women in my writing community and to even just have that fresh eyed look, you Mm -hmm. know, and different perspective of like, Hey, this isn't, why do we have to do it this way? Yeah. You know, that's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think also, you know, at live, we have, as I touched on before, the partnerships with our athletes and ambassadors, I mean, our ambassadors are all athletes too, but just, you know, kind of recognizing how everything can kind of work together. I know that you and I have talked about it as, you know, before as a storyteller, as a journalist, as somebody, you know, hosting a podcast, Mm -hmm. your role is also really significant important into this, this bigger picture. But again, when we think about, you know, how, um, about women and what they might need and want, we are coming from, we try and ask that question a lot and, um, are always looking for, you know, ways to, uh, respond and new in different ways. I mean, we know like attention spans have really changed. Mm -hmm. We know that, (laughs) you know, I just think about over the course of time, you know, photographs and then short form, you know, videos and longer storytelling and now, you know, short form, you know, short form storytelling. So that's the other part that keeps it really dynamic. One of the things that we found when way, way, way back when, when I was on bike radio and we did a women's bike of the year test, one of the things they found was that they they had trouble with some of their brakes on the road bikes because they the hoods mm-hmm. were too big and the reach was too far. And even if we dialed it back in, they were having trouble controlling it. And that meant that they felt less confident descending because they didn't have the control that they needed. 
I, I remember Bonnie too uh, on one of the mm-hmm. press camps that I led on um, asking us journalists if we would consider putting our names behind a call for smaller break leavers. And we were like, yes. hell yes, because, <laughs> because I, we want to make sure that women can have an equal experience or people with smaller hands can have, you know, an equal experience to the rest of us. Just because you've got small hands shouldn't mean that you have a lesser experience on a bike. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that. I know Bonnie was um, sharing that. And um, earlier this year um, with with me personally, and then also um, at the Bicycle Leadership Conference Mm -hmm. in the US, where she was really calling on other industry leaders, like, (laughs) just like, if you could all think about what an inclusive writing community would look like for yeah. you, for your brand, right? Like what, how different would the world be? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you know, we, when it comes to our products, we definitely we're designing those, you know, bikes and gear that optimize fit mm-hmm. and performance and fun. And yeah. I, you know, women's data informs those prototypes and also, you know, women's perspectives inform <laughs> the process. <laughs> yeah. And then also our bikes are tested and refined by, you know, elite athletes, um, that are all working with the, with the lib team. So it's so funny because, you know, leave it to a, a marketer to talk about the importance of a bike. And because really I think bikes do like having good equipment makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. it does. It <laughs> does. Even if you don't, it does. And to your point, it's just like, just having, you know, I, I still believe like the, the, the best bike is the bike that fits you best and the bike that you feel confident on. And so it is kind of, you know, looking for, um, that first riding experience that can be positive. And then, yeah, I think from live also like, okay, how do we hook them through a community? How can we connect people? You know, like that's the other thing I just, I get fascinated by like, how do we get that shared sense of purpose and belonging? And I do think in this world, I mean, there's so many people that are lonelier than we know and Mm. more isolated than we know. And, you know, I think bikes are a fantastic vehicle for creating community. On that note, you've touched on some of the groups that live, support or are involved in that sit at the more grassroots side of cycling. Can you tell me a bit more about some of those and, and, and why live, support them? Because I, I think that that's also very interesting that, that finding community, not just finding community, but then also increasing the diversity of who's riding. Because yes. you know, we're talking about lives, you know, women's brand, women's cycling brand. So, you know, that, that's gender diversity, but that's only one part of the, of the picture. Yeah, that's right. I really, I have to share with you that, you know, in along my journey or within my journey at live, I've really um, been able to confront some blind spots of mine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will say Aisha McGowan is, yep. uh, she's a phenomenal athlete and also an advocate. And um, I remember sitting down with, with Aisha and Brooke Hopper, and we were talking about, I was really proud of that. This is like back in 2018 mm-hmm. or maybe nine or 19. And I was like, you know, look, you know, all these women and all these stories. And Aisha was like, you guys suck. Like, <laughs> where are people of color? And, you know, Aisha is like, it's one of those things where she has some visibility, but truly she is an unsung hero in so yes. many ways because at a quick round box, you know, there are two distinctive programs. They have the black box 
Foxes, which is an international collective of unapologetically Black cyclists and outdoors people that are reclaiming narratives and roles in the outdoors and really kind of inviting others in and, you know, actively going to events and for representation and visibility. And then they also, um, through a quick brown fox, have started the Abundance Project. I touched on that earlier, but that's really designed to create a pathway for women of color to go from beginner to professional road cyclists by eliminating some of the barriers, right? If it's cost, if it's equipment, if it's just like, I need a safe, I need a space to ask questions that I'm not finding elsewhere. And um, I was going to use safe space, but I also am really sensitive to, I love um, Brene Brown talks about, we can't ensure another person's safety, but we can create brave spaces, right? right? So that's what they're doing. And um, just the the impact of these, uh, both programs is, it's hard to measure. And yet we know, we can see the response in online spaces. We can, you know, see the response of when they have an event and people are showing up or when they go to events. And if one more writer feels safe yeah. to be out there or to get out there, wow. I mean, that is really <laughs> tremendous. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the, you know, and, and it's, an, it's a program that's supported at the, the global level because we truly believe in the, the global impact of that. And um, I feel like cycling has a responsibility to sort of address the inequality within it. It's not good enough to say, oh, yeah, but there's no barriers just because you don't face them. Just because you, you, right. you've always you've always you've never had an issue out there. That doesn't mean that other people don't, you know, face barriers to what they want to do and or blocks to the opportunities they might have. I feel very strongly that if we do feel like cycling should be for everyone, we have a responsibility to make it to do what we can to make it for everybody. Agree. And I also think, I mean, that happens at all, you know, at all levels. And this is why it's so interesting because being, um, I'm going to just go back to that example of the bicycle leadership conference, which is put on by people for bikes, a U.S. advocacy organization. But I looking around the the room, it's, it's, you know, it's audiences more towards the C-suite. And I have to say it was like 75% plus white middle-aged men. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And all the women that were there were like, we're gravitating towards one another. Like, hi, you know, I'm just like, I'm Cassandra. And I'm you. And there was one kind of event that was, you know, organized. It was a happy hour event and where it was just, you know, storytelling and connecting um, with women. And I was like, this is what I want. I want just this. Mm, (laughs) And not because I don't care about the, you know, the full spectrum of the industry, but I also, it's also because I think that there's still the sense of like, we're on the, we're the pioneers. Like Mm. we're still working towards, you know, having that seat at the table and trying to get other seats, you know, at that table. That is still very active happening in the bike industry. Yeah. And one thing that I do believe is that when women enter into the room, into the, at the table in the conversation, it changes the climate overall. Yeah. And then there, and then we, there's space for others and, you know, more and more and more differences. So I don't want to get too hung up on like, oh, it's women. But I do think that I don't know if it's I, I just I, I think that's an interesting thing that that happens quite yeah. naturally. If there's just whatever it is. So I am really in favor of seeing 
more spaces for that and for actively, you know, kind of having uh, places to, to convene and to discuss the realities. And I mean, I'm a pretty optimistic and positive person, but it can get tiresome. Yeah, no, I I would agree. Being, being sort of the only or slash one of the few women in a room in, in a role, probably in any industry, but I mean, I guess most of my experiences in the, in the bike media side of things. And, you know, just to reiterate, I've like, I've worked with some fantastic, fantastically supportive organizations some great guys but I have also experienced that kind of feeling of like am I the only person here which is one of the reasons why they don't really happen so much anymore um but when you when you started getting women's specific bike launches um and you know generally speaking I'd love to see more women at general bike launches not just at the women's specific launches um you go on those and it's it's the first time really for quite a lot of the women there that they'd been in a room with other female bike journalists and it's like oh Oh my god this is amazing we can like have conversations about shared experiences and what it's like and like oh what did you think of that bike and all the rest of it I mean probably the same chats that a lot of the guys are having although I will say um one of the live launches uh, did have karaoke and um, when I told the guys back in the office about that they initially looked a little bit like mm, karaoke but I bet they would have been well up for that if they got that on their launches so I think actually they were jealous because I think there should be more karaoke on bike launches just saying <laughs> well I always think of you as rock and roll so that fits <laughs> Thanks. It's my amazing yeah, you know, <laughs> Not. But I do, you know, it is, I have, again, it's one of those things where I've been so lucky to be at the center of that, mm. uh, you know, for a live launch event where the intention is to, it's, it's not only, it's to also advocate for, yeah. right? Like yeah. we are advocating because we still, I mean, we want the stories from women's perspectives. Mm. That's really important. Yeah. And then, yeah, what what happens when you know every, we get together in one space in one room? I, something is there, yeah. and it's powerful. And I I just know it and sense it, and I think the connections that are forged those experiences are also really impactful. Yeah. So that has been a, a, a true source of of joy in you know, throughout my kind of career yeah. and journey at, um, at live, it's a remarkable element. And I agree. I think also, you know, at any bike launch that women, <laughs> women belong wherever bikes are. Yes. <laughs> we belong there. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we're moving in that direction. I, I really, I, like, I feel like things are changing. I hope it, I hope it continues along that way. And like you said, like, so it, it's, you know, if we want change to happen, it's, it's about providing opportunity, not just initially at that, um, at initial stage but also sort mm-hmm. of supporting opportunities for pipelines for people to come in yes. and if they want to go into racing to provide opportunities there or if they you know if they want to go into journalism providing the opportunity to sort of write and get experience you know just giving showing people what's out there but also ensuring that there are the tools and opportunities to allow them to progress through it without having to fight and find their way every time going back to uh to some of the pro racing, just because um, I'm obviously a little bit biased about this, but after the Tour de France Femme, which is obviously going to be huge, we've also got the first unified cycling world championships happening here in Scotland. Uh, in Yay! I know, so excited. Um, <laughs> so we've got like events happening. We've got road racing in BMX um, in Glasgow. We've got the downhill at Fort William up in the Highlands, and we've got the cross country and marathon here in the Tweed Valley. So I'm I'm obviously super. 
excited about that because it's basically on my doorstep. I think they might actually be going past the end of my road. Um, so I'm definitely going to be oh, wow. cheering them on. What's Liv's involvement with that? I mean, that's that's also going to be a big opportunity for for sort of getting cycling out to more people. It's going to be on the BBC on national television here in the UK, for example. Mm, I love it. And, I, you know, as... A uh, sponsor of teams, definitely there, our athletes are going to have a big presence. Yeah. Um, and because it's world championships, it is, you know, it's not necessarily as a team approach. I'll yeah. say it that way. Yes. Um, but, um, we, uh, I'm very excited that, uh, Elizabeth Walker, Liz, mm-hmm. uh, who I know you know and are and, um, are well acquainted with. Um, yes. she'll be on the ground in Scotland and she is, um, yeah, very, very active, not only as a supporter for the Live Factory racing team and the Live Racing Collective. Um, she works, you know, together with the mechanics that are providing support and is also really, you know, actively working towards having, you know, women in the industry conversations. Conversations yeah. and forums. Um, as a brand, I think we are more kind of there to support the athletes, yeah. but really enthused about the, you know, just the, the vision for this and how it all comes together. Yeah. And I just think like, whoa, it's just Scotland is the epicenter of excellence. <laughs> I mean, I think wow. so, but I'm biased. It's going to be, <laughs> I mean, that is super special. And so I am excited. Again, it's one of those things where like, what will ensue? Yeah. You know, just that kind of uh, curiosity and um, and great expectations yeah. for how everything lands there. And I just love that you are central in that in your role as well um, in the Tweed Valley for XCN Marathon events. That's just like ah, the best. I'm, I'm going to be talking to everyone. I'm going to try and see if I can get some little <laughs> more on the fly podcasts. I'll just be like shoving a microphone in everyone's place telling, tell me things. Tell me how excited you are. This is so cool. Yes. Just yes, try and capture good. that buzz. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to be on the ground there. And it's one of those wishes, you know, to be in mm. more than one place at one time. And um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, spectating and um, cheering on from the sidelines on this one. And um, yeah, I just ugh, well. we, we'll just have to clone you, Sandra. We'll just have, to have like someone that you can send to like go to events and someone to the other events. We might have to clone you several times uh. though to, to fit all the things in. Um, let's just finish up then with like the state of women's cycling. How have things changed up to now and where do you see things or where would you like to see things going in the future? I'm really, I am energized by the growing momentum of women's cycling. Yeah. I do think it is, um, I, I, I say this and I know I may even shared, said this, shared this with you, um, when we last spoke together, I think a few months ago, but mm-hmm. I just feel like we're on the precipice. Like yeah. it just feels so big and massive. And I don't think that we have really, you know, crested the wave to mix metaphors, but <laughs> at the same time, you know, we see the concerns. We saw, you know, the canceled women's tour to yeah. the funding. We understand the Euro done was also, you know, under threat. We understand that, you know, co- I mean, contract expectations have rightfully grown yay and also sometimes they're under resourced teams so i think there's some restructuring that's um underway which is uh, you know necessary Mm -hmm. um and then also you know we hear the naysayers who i think falsely believe that there's too little to go around somehow 
right? Well, yeah. Like, but I'm super inspired by not only just like kind of the growth of the sport and the growth of, I'm hearing a lot of conversations around developments yeah. and even, you know, your acknowledgement of like, how can there be places for women to develop their skills as journalists? And, mm-hmm. you know, certainly, you know, in the business, I believe in mentoring programs yeah. strongly and participate in them. How can we be mentors and, um, and then if we look even across women's sports, this is where I'm also getting a lot of inspiration. And one thing I want to share is, you know, from a running more of the running category, but mm-hmm. Lauren Fleshman, if you haven't read good for a girl, it's a memoir that centers on her experience as a collegiate athlete at Stanford university. And one thing that came up was, you know, all too well, uh, or all too often, <laughs> um, well-intended coaches are trying to duplicate their knowledge from working with men. Right. And even Dr. Stacy Sims, she, you know, her, she's like, women are not small men. She wrote the book roar. And so I do think that like, we need to reimagine women's cycling and women's sports, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're not cookie cutters. (laughs) And so there's something that is so the potential is so big. How might we better play to the existing strengths? of something that's totally different than what exists right now. And what would the future look like if there was something that was really distinct and unique for women? And how is what's happening right now shaping that? Yeah. And that's that, you know, when I think about what I want to see in the future, I want to just see women's sports kind of be their own thing and women's cycling to be like a standalone. It is so exciting. There's so many, you know, great, amazing athletes across disciplines. And it is like truly, you know, like astounding. (laughs) That's, I want to have that celebrated and acknowledged and just to see that kind of grow in its own direction. Yeah. That is a powerful note to end on because that's such a strong, inspiring vision for the future of women's cycling and, you know, hopefully women's sports as well. And I love that idea that, Mm -hmm. you know, so we can take more inspiration across other sports, see what's working Mm -hmm. and and maybe sort of learn from that as well. Don't just look at it in isolation. Cassandra, thank you so much for dialing in on your Saturday morning all the way from the US for a chat today. If people want to keep up to date with what you're up to, what's the best way of doing that? I am very accessible online um, and so I'm sharing a lot of professional news on LinkedIn. I share photos and memes <laughs> and um, things I'm excited about on Instagram. I recently joined Threads um, yes. and Cassandra um, is my username in those spaces or Cassandra Spring on LinkedIn. And I definitely welcome connection. Excellent. Thank you so much for this time today, Aoife. It's a joy to connect with you each and every time. And I so appreciate what you're doing um, in the world of cycling and in the world in general. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Spindrift podcast. I'm Aoife and I've been your host today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did and would like to support the Spindrift podcast, it's really simple. Please just leave a review or rating or share this episode on your social media channels as it really helps people discover the podcast. If you want to follow Cassandra, I'll pop the links up on the Spindrift podcast website and you can also follow us on Instagram at spindrift underscore podcast. I'm also going to be at the Cycling World Championships uh, Marathon and Cross Country Racing in the Tweed Valley in August. So if you're around, come and say hi. Hi.